0: Welcome back. We are in Ephesians chapter four, starting at verse 14. I love this book, this book has so much meat in it. It's a very short book, uh, but man, does it bring the power. And you can live in here for a couple of years and, and not have to leave it, and still leave it thinking, wow, there, I think there's some more in there I need to learn. It's that good. We, we left it last week with, the goal is to be filled to the measure, all the way up, with the fullness of Christ. Well, there's a reason for that. The first half of Ephesians chapter 4 is all about us being united. Therefore, we bear with each other. We love one another. We understand that there is a God and we're not Him, so we are subsumed and then submerged. We subsume all of our own desires and wishes and we allow ourselves to be submerged in a larger story, the larger dream of Almighty God in Christ and in us. So all of this will get us somewhere. There's a benefit. And so the benefits being laid out here then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Brothers and sisters, beware. Beware of Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever, WhatsApp, wherever, whatever you're on out there. Beware of the 24-7 news cycle. Beware of media. Just beware, because it doesn't matter left, right, and it really doesn't. That's not a throwaway line. Both sides are full of deceit and full of crafty ways to pull you and make you less effective for Jesus, but more effective for them. God says, don't be blown this way or the other. Like you, I have lost friends to COVID. Like you, I have friends who believe it's all overblown. I have others who believe we're in the last days because of it. I, the whole spectrum and the uh, the culture loves that. It loves yelling and drawing you like a pinball back and forth and back and forth and up and down. Paul's saying, leave that behind. Be overwhelmed by Christ and our duty to love one another, serve one another, give grace to one another, and bear one another, and then you won't aren't pulled this way and that way by the outrage du jour. Instead, what can you do? Well, he even uses the word instead in verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. So important we get this because he's going to use this head theme for a couple of chapters and we tend to forget it and change the definition. Christ is the head in all things. He's the directing force. Um, I'm going to do, yeah, let me go there first. Speaking the truth in love. If I go to a restaurant this afternoon, and I hop on the table and yell out, so what's it gonna be? Come to Jesus or or be lost for eternity? Well, even if I'm theologically correct, which you have every right to question, even if I'm theologically correct, I am dead wrong because then I'd spoken the truth, but there was no love there, none at all. We can speak the truth And some people say, speak truth to power. And I think I know what that means, but the definition of it seems to shift according to who's saying it. But I I, I do think I know what that means, and and that's a good thing, to speak to the powerful and tell them a truth they don't want to hear. Okay, Uh, it's a very brave thing. But even there, I would say it has to be in love. It has to be in love. That's the hard part. How do you say the truth in love? I think the more you practice, the easier it is because love will modify the way you feel about all things. You know, think about Christ. He didn't walk around just angry all the time at the people that weren't paying attention. He just walked along doing good. In fact that's the shortest biography of him is in the book of Acts when it just says he went about doing good. Cool. Now we don't just leave it there because that turns more into Confucius and his, his teaching than Jesus. There is a redemptive nature to Christ's teaching and there is a transformative um, component of it. No question. But we are to speak truth, do good, and do it in love. I mean, if I'm feeding somebody and I, and we give them this big trolley full of groceries and the like, and they say, thank you. Thank you. You know, we just had a real hard time recently. And, you know, and I look at him and I go, well, you know, if you just quit smoking, that would be dollars in your pocket. And if you actually went out, you know, you don't have to get $30 an hour. You know, Walmart's starting at 15 in our region and Amazon and Walmart actually are going up higher than that in our region. There'd be all of that may be true. Is there any love in it? Not the way I just phrased it. But gently, if I love them enough, they may even ask me, how can I change this cycle? And if I know, I can answer. If I don't know, well, I'll tell them I don't know. See, that's the thing, humility. Sometimes you might think you know, but we don't know. And we might be terribly wrong in diagnosing what's wrong with this family. So again, truth in love because truth without compassion is hostility. I'll say it again. You might want to write that down. Bernie Siegel taught me that, a cancer surgeon up in New Haven, Connecticut. Truth without compassion is hostility. Okay, so that said, we will in all things grow up into him who is our head, even Christ. Uh, Can I be Mr. Science for a while for you? Your, your body has a job. In fact, it has a, a large variety of jobs and the cells in there are just remarkable. And we could go on for days about that. Trust me, I could. But there is one overwhelming job your body has and that is to keep your brain going. That's its job. A huge percentage. It's not, it's not a majority, but certainly a plurality. <laughs> I know I'm using that term wrong, statisticians, don't get upset at me. Uh, Of the oxygen and nutrients in your blood, every heartbeat go to the brain, way out of proportion to the rest of the body. And if you're concentrating in a period of stress or maybe taking a test, or maybe you're a pilot landing an airplane on a, on the heaving deck of an aircraft carrier, it raises, your body pushes oxygen and nutrients to your brain. When you get older, sometimes the blood will start leaving your hands and feet. They'll get cold. Why? Your brain. It needs to keep your brain alive. There are are times where your your face can go red when the rest of you is cold. Why? Got to keep the brain alive. In the same way, it allows me to think of Christ no matter what's going on today and my day is like your day. There are a whole lot of things that need done and there are more things coming through the door all the time that need done. But my job is to keep Christ the head alive and active on this planet. Now I hope I don't need to qualify that and to say, it's not me. He's always alive. He will. I hope we all understand that. As individuals and as a group, our job is to have Christ out front and make sure he gets the best. Because he is the best of us. He is the best of the universe. So, uh, if, if the dollar has two different, you know, pulls on it, it is legitimate to ask which one would honor Christ do not use that as a, as another tool that Satan would use to beat you up. Yes, you can have that slice of cake and you're not obese and you're not diabetic. Therefore you can have it. But what about the poor children? And you're allowed to have cake. You're allowed to go to a party. You're allowed to dance. You're allowed to enjoy the beach. You're allowed, but that's not our reason for life. There's a big difference between enjoying, different foods and living to eat. There's a big difference between loving the beach and spending all of your day at the beach, collecting shells or just staring out the water. There's more to life. And the good news is you can love the beach and still work for Jesus. And you can enjoy your cake and food and still work for Jesus. The, the thing is, though, all, Jesus has got to be part of the program, right? He's got he's to be the head. Now, because he's the head, does that mean that your hands and feet don't matter? Not at all. Paul will make that point very, very plain in his letters. But remember who the head is. There used to be a tradition, and, and I know in Catholic homes I see it a lot uh, to this day, you'll see a, a picture of Mary or a votive candle and a crucifix of the light. Like. Um, and, and these things used to be a lot more common, even among Protestants than they are today. And there would be little plaques, you know, I need to remember that Christ is the head at the table at every meal. And, you know, I, I think those are fine. Uh, I think plaques, if you need a plaque to remember this, I'd say get a plaque, um, wh- whatever it takes. I used to carry a little stamped aluminum metal cross in my pocket because every time I'd reach in to get my change I'd feel that. It was just a way to remember Jesus, that Jesus had to be part of the equation. I stopped doing that some time ago because I don't spend change. It all goes into a collection box and later that uh, the grandkids get it and sometimes they get it for goodies and toys and sometimes they get it and we go through a Compassion International catalog and they buy something for a a village with it. And it's a, it's a great thing. But in other words, I don't reach in my pocket for change anymore. So that cross wasn't helping. So I found another way, whatever way it is, just remember who the head is from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love. Once again, not rules, not conformity, not regulations, but love as each part does its work. You know, everybody gets grace. That's already in this chapter, according to what they need. And everybody has a different job. Everybody has a gift. Nobody gets them all. And if you're wondering, well, what is my gift? I know that there are seminars and books that will help you find what your gift uh, is or what the gifts are that you have. You can have more than one. Uh, I just my first response is go ahead if you want to go to those things or read these books please do I I think there's probably great value there Um, I would first of all ask you though to trust God that he knows what your gift is and he's going to be working through it already even if you don't know just trust him so I, I tell you this Paul says and and he says insist upon this in the Lord that would be if we said that in english it would say by god i'm insisting on this that you must no longer live as the gentiles do in the futility of their thinking get your mind right as some of the old folks used to say he's still talking to christians they are still saved he's just wanting them to up their game i i think our grandson lucas who's always been a a phenom um, in some sports, basketball is his, his love. I think he was four or five. Whenever he started, he he wanted his grandmother, my wife, he calls, uh, they they all call her sugar. You know, sugar play, you know, one-on-one. And he's always been intense. Always been able to, you know, juke and jive and move around and just, and you know, she threw the ball up and missed or something. And he turned to her and he said, sugar, You have to up your game. A four-year-old cracked us up. Paul here is saying, up your game by getting your head straight. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. I want to ask you something. It used to be, uh, they say that most people married were virgins and they, um, had just no sexual activity before, limited sexual knowledge, perhaps before. And that now it's rare that two people marrying are virgins. I think that that is generally true, but only if we refer to that first part as limited in time and scope, because there were many ancient societies where that was not true and they're all the way up through to the present day. But let's, let's just do that juxtaposition. Um, Are we happier now that people are having sex with more people? um, Maybe widening the field by being bisexual or having a different sexual list or name to it. Are we happier now? There is absolutely, um, there are are certain genetic factors involved in sexuality that really, really complicate sexuality and and gender and the like. And I'm not going to get into all of that here. Um, those who of you who want to super simplify it, or super complicated are both missing the mark because no matter what we are or where we are, we need to stop and ask the question, is this making us more fulfilled or is it just making us hungrier for more of the thing that didn't satisfy us? When I was a boy, they used to have candies that I don't see anymore and that's a good thing. And I can not remember Pixie Sticks was one. And if you're of a certain age, you know, these came little straws full of just flavored sugar. That's all it was. And they were amazing. But they also came in a yard long tube, about as big around as my little finger. And we'd get those things and whoosh, we would put them down there. We were absolutely mainlining sugar. At that point, it becomes a drug. There comes a point where this is a, a, a drug. And, and man, did we go to our, our, our drug supplier, our drug dealer, which was any grocery store that sold this stuff. We would do the same, But by the way, if, you're, if your parents are going, well, we never did that. They did. They just did it with Kool-Aid. They put in extra, extra sugar to where you could stand up a fork in it. Regardless, you power that stuff in, did it ever, was it ever enough? Well, you know, for a while it was. When you start seeing elephants mowing the lawn while singing opera, you've, you've had enough sugar. But it would wear off, you'd feel down, you need to get more. Sugar wasn't what our bodies were designed for, not that much, and not in that form we needed something else to satisfy our hunger. And this is the same with sex. It's the same with philosophy. It's the same with politics. It's the same with shopping. It's the same with cars. It's a, it's the same with work. We have to be very careful that we let nothing else take the place of our head, Christ, because nothing else is ever going to satisfy us ever. And he's saying, we've got to quit living like the people who don't know that we've got to quit living like, and he calls them the Gentiles. Well, the Ephesians are Gentiles. They're Christians, but they're Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. You're either Gentile or a Jew. That's two ways of dividing the world. But he's referring to those that are outside of the community of faith, saying, don't live like them. If people can't tell the deference, Well, then there's a problem. My dear friend, Marette Jorgensen, um, who is also one of our teammates at R-Safe Harbor, and she has a a wonderful podcast, a wonderful YouTube channel and a good website, and you can go to rsafeharbor.com and go find her. Uh, well back in the uh, middle of January, she did a six minute broadcast, um, called symptomatic versus asymptomatic, and she used COVID because at that time that was a very hot subject that many people had Omicron, but they had it with no symptoms. Therefore they were still spreading it. And she goes from there to talk about Christianity. Are we showing enough symptoms of Christianity that people know we are carriers of Christianity? We are carriers of Christ. We are supporting the head or are we asymptomatic? We're Christians, but not that anybody could tell. That's what Paul's against right here, all right? Go look for that broadcast, it's worth going to find. Uh, I would tell you, I'm gonna link it here, but I don't have that kind of tech um, crew, or expertise, or time, but thank you for giving us the amount of money we have so we can do this, so thanks. Um, they are darkened, they're hardened in their hearts. What does hardened in their hearts mean? Lost all sensitivity, They've forgotten how to listen. They've forgotten how to change their mind. They've forgotten how to be ashamed. Now I think shame is a really powerful negative force, and I don't believe that any of us should wallow in shame. But if you do something shameful, you need to be able to notice that you did, and then go back to Christ and receive grace, And it'll be forgiven it will be wiped off you don't need to live with that shame the rest of your life you just don't but if you do something shameful wouldn't it be nice to know you did so that you didn't do it again but these people he's talking about have, have narrowed their vision to the point where it's all about them it's all about them and a lot of social media is a focus on us and i worry about that too i have a huge social media presence because of the church but also because of my teaching through the years and I'll do songs on it every now and then they're like, I'm hoping that I'm not making this all about me, but that's always a danger. It's always a possibility. So it's one of those things, try to remain sensitive, try to remain open to the possibility that you need to be the one who's changing here because whatever you're doing here, here's a, here's a clue. If you're always hungry for more if you're never satisfied then you may be in this group because you haven't you haven't filled up with anything that is real food for your life your spiritual life he says you however did not come to know Christ that way surely you heard of him and were taught in him, according to the truth that is in Christ or in Jesus. You were taught, here's, here's the clue, remain teachable, remain reachable, remain humble and open. That goes right back to the first of Ephesians four. That's why we're spending so long in Ephesians four because it is really central to how to navigate the planet as a Christian. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Well, he's going to tell us a little bit about how to do that. But I want to start with, Put off your old self, which is corrupted by its deceitful desires. Uh, Sometimes talking to people about sexual issues, uh, they'll say, well, if, Um, If I'm not supposed to do this, then why did God create within me the desire to do this? And I I think that's a valid question. Uh, I do. You have a desire there because something about that is important to God. For example, sexual desire. It's important to God that we raise up children. We have families. They raise up children. We have families, civilizations, communities, supportive, loving, productive communities. And that's probably not going to happen without sexual desire or sexual joy. So that's put in us. But allow me to, um, allow me to use a couple of other drives that are within us. There is a drive within us to eat. Uh, We are designed to eat. A huge amount of the body's processes are, are involved with finding food, preparing food, eating food, digesting food, Uh, which means that allocation of its different components to uh, their parts and where, where it's needed in the body. And then the elimination of food, a huge amount of our energy goes for this. So it is a legitimate drive. It's a legitimate desire. But if we become gluttons, that's a misuse of the desire. We could also desire to be fit. Uh, I think that's a drive for some people. Seems to have missed me, but uh, I've never had a Fitbit. I'm always afraid it will call 911 and, and report my death because I haven't moved enough. But um, those people who have a drive to be fit, I think that that is a human drive, to have strength and ability. Can they take that too far? Of course. Can we take a drive for justice? I. Mean, a belief that within us there is an innate sense of justice of right and wrong. We used to call that natural law and it was considered a very valid part of our legal system and our culture until about the time judge Robert Bork uh, was kept off of the Supreme court because those in the Senate that were uh, attacking him, attacked him over this concept of there's an inbuilt God, Law in us natural law. They attacked that and that was I I believe the beginning of the unraveling of that in our system But I believe that in reality we do have a system uh, an innate understanding of law and Right and wrong C.S. Lewis argues this very very effectively in my opinion in the book mere Christianity Please read it if you have not give it time It's very British, 1940s British language, but very, very powerful. Once you grasp what he's going for. And as he legitimately and correctly says, there are no cultures that erect statues to cowards. There's something in us that understands we don't do that. We put statues to heroes. Um, And again, you can quibble with every single one of his arguments, but I don't believe you can quibble with the whole of them, the gestalt here, be new in your mind. Your desires can deceive you. Remember the garden and the devil's first lie was, God's holding out on you. He won't let you have this great pleasure, this great power. God's holding out on you. When your desires tell you, I must cross a line because God's holding out on me, they're deceitful. All right. Um, we are to be made new in the attitude of our minds. And by the way, that's a, a Hebrews expression too, by the renewing of your mind. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And I would submit to you that right now that if you're beating yourself up because you're not doing this very well, that you ought to acknowledge, okay, there is room to be improved. Then you need to pick something that you're going to work on and then work on it with the realization that you're going to be doing this until the day you die, if you're living right, because there, there, there will always be room for improvement, but you are saved while you're going through the process. Salvation is not a destination, it's a present reality. Our destination is to show our salvation by the way we live and think and feel. And so that's our, that's our destination. But our accomplishment, our possession of salvation, is already there. Christ said so. So what are, what are some ways uh, that we can show this This process is at work within us? Well, he starts, Each of you uh, must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. Remember what lies were there for and and why the bible talks about false witness and the light lies were a way of getting honor over somebody else respect over somebody else power over somebody else and the idea is to lay aside those desires for power those desires for um, for any advantage over another for we are all members of one body we are in this together Remember when COVID the first six months of COVID it seemed that every commercial was in, we're all in this together, whether it was a grocery store commercial or a UPS truck or whatever it was, we're all in this together. And that war really thin when we saw that the elites weren't, that the elites were living by their own rules and then the anger began and then more mandate and it just became a real mess. What would have happened if throughout this entire process, we were more humble and said, we don't know. We just don't know. These are viruses. Viruses are weird. They change. The rules change overnight with viruses. And maybe this works and maybe this doesn't, but we'd like to try this. And if you don't want to try that, and we're all in this together. We never had that attitude. Uh, Everybody ran to their corner and began screaming at each other. We, We really need to get past that. So let's not speak falsehoods to each other, not try to gain advantage over because we are truly on the same planet. In your anger, do not sin. I find that fascinating. In your anger, do not sin. Why do I find that fascinating? Not the do not sin part. I get that. It's that it assumes there will be anger. You know why? Because there should be. Anger is a part of the image of God. Anger is supposed to be a positive energy. For example, I can see racism and I can be angry and just sit and stew about it. I can allow that to become sin in my life, judging others, being harsh, living without hope, living without peace. Or I can take that anger and go to work to help find ways to connect, people, because once we connect, we find out that they're people, whether they're red, white, yellow, brown, purple, or polka dotted, they're people and they have names and they have stories and they have experiences that are completely foreign to us. And we'll never know any of that unless we become friends and listen and hear and allow someone else to lead us a bit. That anger energy is there to create change. If I see a woman who is bruised from domestic violence, wincing every time her husband moves, afraid a hand strike is coming, I should be angry. What can I do with that? Grab an axe and go for him? No. In my anger, do not sin. I got to find a way to give her help, protect her from him. And if at all possible, help him come to Jesus too. Not sending him via acts, but teaching. But all the while, keeping my focus on this woman who's been the victim, helping her recover, get a better life, find a better path forward with better friends. Anger is an energy to change things. And if you do not change things, or if you only use it to increase anger, it becomes a deceitful thought and it spoils your life. You're not able to, to affect change. I've had people yell at me and try to shame me because they want to change me about this, that, or the other. That's really not effective. But if you get to know me, like me, walk along with me, I start being able to hear you and maybe then I can change. I've certainly done a tremendous change from where I was religiously to where I am today. I don't think I'm done changing. I think there's a whole lot of need to learn. I, in fact, knowledge is like a circle. The more you know, the more you border on what you do not know. And I think it's a good sign to be humble and say, the more I learn, the more I realize how ignorant I am. So I need to listen to be teachable, as it said here. Um, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Did you ever had the, have those sweet couples come up to you when you're getting married? We did. I remember a couple of them on the night of the wedding at the, at the reception or whatever, they'd come up and they'd say, now here's, we've been married forever and we're happy. Here's a rule. And this is what's kept us happy. Never go to bed angry. I disagree with that. How long can you stay awake? Sometimes you need to process your anger. Sometimes you need to get distance from your anger. That's not what this is saying. It's saying don't let it sit there and fester. Do something with it when you can, where you can, with what you've got. But don't let it just sit there. Okay? I think I. I think I get this I know of men and we're, we're losing them all now we're very soon we're going to get to a place where there are none of them left men and women who served in the armed forces and I'm aware that the women served in unarmed forces you know the wax of the waves of the like but hey it couldn't have been done without them they served and I've met some of them in my life that would never buy anything made in Japan it was because of the cruelties they saw in war I'm not sure that helped them in life. I have not seen these others. I've only read their accounts or watched documentaries of their accounts that traveled back to Iwo Jima or Hiroshima or any of these and met with their captors or met with their enemies and reconciled. Which one of these do you think had a better life? I think that's his point. Don't give the devil a foothold, he says. Don't let the devil rent space in your head. Elsewhere, he'll talk to, uh, as we've seen in Corinthians, he'll say, he'll build a tower there. If you give him any real estate, he's gonna make himself a home and he's gonna make himself at home. Don't do that. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands. That he may have something to share with those in need. big part of the reason we work is so that we can give to those who have need. Not to judge them, or not to tell them, hey you should work as hard as I do, but accept everything we earn as a gift, even though we worked for it, and share it. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Oh man, well, somebody write it down this is what february the 9th this recording ephesians 4 verse 29 paul just killed the internet don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. only speak what builds up the other person do not grieve the holy spirit of god with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption how, how am i grieving the holy spirit grieving one of the people he lives in he lives in us so when you look at people realize there's deity there they may mask it pretty hard but it's there one God who is above all and through all and in us all get rid of all bitterness rage and this is your to-do list for today I'm lying this is your to-do list for every day if you're like me Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with with every form of malice. That's That's in a book, a letter that's written to Christians. So don't be surprised when you see Christians acting like this. Because Christians do, and they shouldn't. And we shouldn't. Hmm. God's not just going to save shiny happy people. Uh, We're a mess. That's why we needed a savior. He ends the chapter and we're going to end today with this. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Wow! Does that sound familiar? Romans 15 7 but also the first few verses of Ephesians 4. There seems to be a theme And Paul. And while we tend to make him this law giving killjoy, if you really read the books for what they say as he wrote them, you see this theme constantly love each other, bear with each other, be kind, be compassionate to each other. When you speak the truth, always speak it in love. Bear with each other, have patience with each other, just like God's having with you. You have permission. You have permission to run out of patience with people when God, when you're okay with God, not having patience with you. Now, please, I want to stress that does not mean that you are going, you're going to have to. All right, here's an example. You have a boss who has a filthy mind and a filthy mouth, and HR won't do anything to fix it. You're patient. You're patient. You're. Pa- it's not going to change. You're allowed to change jobs you're allowed to go to HR and form a complaint. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, have the attitude about you that if there is a possible way to live in peace with somebody, you will. That's also in Romans. If it is possible and as much as lies in you, Paul said, live in peace with all people. That's our message. You might have to leave some people to where they're not in your life. But we don't wish them ill. We don't wish them pain. We wish them every every love and success. But we're aware we can't bear that. So we need to step over here and let God accept them. And we're glad that he does. And we move on accepting those others as we were accepted in turn. All right. Hope you enjoyed the week. We are praying for you. What? What a difficult time in which to live. And yet, There are blessings to be had. This is one of them, getting to visit with you. God bless. We'll talk to you soon.